America Meditating Radio Show, we collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts 24-7. Hi, I'm Sister Jenna. Join me and guests as we amplify stories that compel us to be more for ourselves and everyone else around us. without food, not to lose weight, but to help people lose generations of hate. While many around him rose up with violence, he sat down for peace. When others used religion as an excuse for war, he used it to remind them of love. Mahatma Gandhi made the world a far better place by reaching out with the strength he cultivated within his soul. So, pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. is just a click away. Find the right seat for your little one's age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat for more information. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Om Shanti. The time that we choose to be aware doesn't necessarily require me to just sit and meditate. But even while I walk and move around, I can be in a meditative awareness, which is awareness of the soul, the original, eternal, imperishable being of light. For a little while, I'd like to invite you to be present, to be here, and to be now. Allow your mind to settle in the moment, to relax. This meditation is about awareness. It's about becoming aware of your original and eternal self. About connecting to your truth. Let go of your name. And observe yourself feeling nameless. Let go of your gender discontinue thinking you're a man or a woman. Let it go and observe how you would feel walking around without a gender. Let go of the role that you play and let go of the titles that you own. Observe how you're feeling as you are gradually letting go. Let go of your religion and put it aside just for now.
let go of your nationality in even the language that you're accustomed to. Imagine you have no name, gender, role, title, religion, nationality or even a language. Ask yourself, how do you feel at this moment? And in this feeling, who would think of you and who would you think of? Supreme Soul would think of you, and you, the liberated soul, would think of the Supreme. In this state of absolute freedom, I am truly who I am. A free And welcome to America Meditating Radio Show. I hope you enjoyed that, the all-time favorite letting go from my off-to-work CD. And we are always touched and inspired by the way that you show up to these conversations that we have on a regular basis. You know, I'm beginning to continue to keep amplifying my trust in destiny, but also the trust in a pure wish and a pure feeling. You know, when you do something without any expectations, but you're just doing it because the heart is moving you to do it, it amazes me when I see the return of those actions versus the actions in which you're manipulating a story and trying to make sure that this is the result of that. I remembered sitting in a meeting here and we have a peace tree that's planted on Capitol Hill. And I remembered I had to meet all these, you know, officials and delegates and so on. And there was a thought about bringing a Ashoka tree from India, but it had to be quarantined for at least a year. So, of course, that would have lost the time span that I needed to have the tree planted, which is on June 10th, which is our day that's been proclaimed as a day for peace here. In the nation's capital. And I remembered meeting so many folks and we all met at the ashram and all these leaders are, okay, we should do this, we should do that, and that will create this and that will create that. 
And just out of the blue, someone just said Oshino weeping cherry, which has these beautiful branches to just, you know, crunch over. They just lean over, and they're like rays, and they're like flowing like a waterfall. And I thought, that's it, because when you're connected to the supreme light, it's just rays. It just falls on you. That's the tree. And unknown to me, that was actually the tree that was donated to us, and we planted it on the hill, and It's one of the trees that I just keep going to and sit like the Buddha many times and just be in that space so I can be still and be inspired and to learn more about the stories within my own being and the story of our humanity. So I had no idea it would have turned out to be something that thousands of people would just go by this tree and just sit for peace. And we have another peace tree planted on the Pentagon which is right near to where the plane actually went down during 9-11. And that tree I barely go to for some reason, even though it's a peace tree. But I've heard stories about how some of the soldiers go there just for peace because they know that is the peace tree. So you never know what a little thought or a little act of kindness will do, especially when it comes from a place of stillness. Well, please stay tuned. We've got the incredible Pico Ayer who will be talking to us about the art of stillness. And before we get Pico on the line, why don't we go to Sister Gita and just get one of her readings and then we'll go to Pico. Sister Gita? Good day, and I trust you're all well, and Om Shanti is a greeting of peace. From the book, Companion of God, authored by our Daddy Janki, one of the world's wisdom keeper, the wise words on silence. There is a part of you that is perfect and pure. It is untouched by the less than perfect characteristics you've acquired by living in a less than perfect world. It is filled with divine qualities, so is in a constant state of resourcefulness and well-being. Total absence of conflict and negativity of any sort makes this part of you a still point, a deep, enriching experience of silence. Make time to practice reaching this inner place of silence. It will bring you untold benefits. First, it allows you to manage your thoughts a lot better. You will find, for example, that there is no need to think as much as you do, that simply sitting in silence will emerge, and it will be effortless, much of all, that you need. Second, the experience of silence releases you from the grip of your negative programming and conditionings. You will more easily experience the truth of your inner peace and dignity. This further aids the mind in remaining focused and capable. Third, the power of silence can be shared As you increase your experience of silence power, your power can help those who find themselves without power to continue in their efforts of self-development and the experience of peace. You know, all souls are powerful. It's the experience within that separates us from that truth. Therefore, your stock of silence plus an additional stock of true, powerful thoughts 
will help others go beyond the limited into the unlimited and the divine. It feels so good to go beyond in this way, to leave behind thought and speech and become quiet for a little while. It's so refreshing and nourishing. It's habit-forming. Love for spiritual introversion, solitude, and silence complement our lives in such a beautiful way. Let's endeavor to practice this. Om Shanti and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you, Sister Keita. As usual, your readings are so heartwarming. They're so touching. Thank you. Well, we're privileged to have acclaimed travel writer Pico Iyer, who was born in Oxford, England, to parents from India, and was educated at Eton, Oxford, and Harvard. He began his career documenting a neglected aspect of travel, the sometimes surreal disconnect between local tradition and imported global pop culture. But since then, he has written 12 books, exploring also the cultural consequences of isolation, whether writing about the exiled spiritual leaders of Tibet or the embargoed society of Cuba. Pico's latest focus is on yet another overlooked aspect of travel, How can it help us regain our sense of stillness and focus in a world where our devices and digital networks increasing distract us? He is also a contributor to roughly 200 magazines, writer of screenplays, and liner notes of introductions to 40 other books. His newest book is entitled The Art of Stillness, and we are very happy to have Pico on the America Meditating Radio Show. Welcome. Thank you so much. Mm, so you've been so busy, and what a wonderful occupation to be able to go around the world and decode certain mysteries. Yes, I feel very lucky that uh, I've got to travel so much and that I am part really of the first generation that thanks to the jet plane has been able to encounter other cultures and make them a part of my own culture. But I think the deepest moments of my life, just as your meditations were suggesting, have taken place when I'm sitting still. And even if you go to Tibet or Iceland or Easter Island, as I have been, I think you can only begin to make sense of those experiences and bring them into your own existence and future by sitting very, very still and letting sort of illusions and projections fall away and try to find out uh, the truth behind it. So I sometimes think that travel has allowed me to decorate my life and to put things on the wall of my existence. But really, it's stillness that has created the foundations and that travel is only as good as the stillness that lies beneath it. That's very beautiful. Pico, uh, my interpretation of stillness or silence has been decoded for me where my mind is in a state of an absence of waste and negative thoughts. That includes attachments to unfulfilled expectations. That includes trying to change something that I can't. So when I'm still, I'm not in that zone of waste or negative thought. Could you share with our audience your interpretation of stillness? Very similar to yours. I think to me it has to do with maybe openness, trust, and intimacy. And you were talking earlier in this program about trusting the universe to be wiser than our own tiny thoughts. And I think that's part of what stillness is about. When I'm racing around, I'm usually trying to impose my will or plan or agenda or self upon the world. And at some point, I think all of us realize that the world is vaster and more important than our individual And more we can sit still, the more we can listen to something deeper than ourselves. And I find 
that when I'm racing around, physically my mind is racing around, but when I'm still, my mind gets quieter and quieter, and then I can hear some voice inside me that I think doesn't have to do with me, but is something much vaster and is much more connected to other people. It has less to do with the differences between us than some common ground that we share, and I think I mean, that's the ultimate intimacy. And all of us have always known that, but I think the challenge today is that we have so many diversions and distractions and so many things taking us away from that base, whether it's the cell phone or the laptop or um, the TV set, that it requires more and more an act of will and a conscious decision to step away from all that and ground ourselves in something beyond the fleeting. So I suppose my other short answer to your question is stillness to me is about attention and attention is about prayer and it's about surrendering to everything outside us which is much larger and uh, much more lasting than we are beautiful beautiful now you've traveled to how many countries by now (laughs) well i've never really counted but uh, i went to school by plane when i was a little boy from the age of nine i was flying back and forth six thousand miles over the north pole to go to school and so it's really been a fact of life for me, and I've, I suppose I've seen most of the countries of the world except for a lot of sub-Saharan Africa and, and Eastern Europe. So that's a great good fortune. But I think nowadays one of the blessings of the modern age is that you can see so much of the world just within your own city. I know you're in um, Washington, D.C. as we speak, and one could visit Ethiopia and Vietnam and Iran and nearly all the great cultures of the world just in one's own home city. So I think that physical travel is much less important than the imaginative readiness to move into a different way of seeing the world, perhaps. That's very beautiful. And where do you call home now? My home is inside me in some ways. It's a portable <laughs> home. And it's, it's, you know the feeling. I think it's made up of the people who meet my wife, my mother, the monastery I regularly go to, the, the songs I love, the books I love. Physically, I live most of the year in rural Japan, and I've been there for 27 years. And my mother's in California, so I go and spend a fair amount of time her, with her. But I was lucky that when I was born, I was born, as you said, in England to parents from India. And then we moved to California when I was seven, So already I was a part of three different cultures without being completely confined within any one of them. And I suppose in those days I thought, well, my home is about the connections and combinations I can make between these different places. And then in my early 30s, I had the curious blessing of my house burning down in a forest fire in California. And so literally I was stripped of every last thing in the world. When I woke up the following morning, the only thing I had was a toothbrush that I had just bought at an all-night supermarket. My past was wiped out, but really my future too, because all the notes I had for the next many seven years of books were gone. And so that made it very physical and literal. It wasn't just a notion that my home had to be something inward that I carried with me, then it was a reality because if somebody asked me that morning, where is your home? I couldn't, of course, point to any physical object. There was no house and no object that I owned in the entire world. The only home I had was what sustained me within. And although not everybody has a house burned down around them, I think everybody has some version of a burning house in her life, that suddenly you you lose a loved one, or suddenly your world is upended, suddenly you lose your job, suddenly a doctor comes into your room with a dark expression on his face. And then you have to think, what is really sustaining me? And what is sustaining you is probably, as you said in your opening meditation, not your business card, not your resume, not your mailing address. It has to be a much deeper source. 
And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's partly what stillness is about for me. That, as I say, when I traveled around a lot, that's with a view to writing articles and conveying something to the world, and that has a value. But when we're facing life's many challenges, the home that we go back to is whatever we have erected within us. And I think what we have erected comes from those moments of, of stillness and peace that we can create within the day. Pico, that's so valuable because we are living at an age where technology is so accelerated and it has trapped us. We are so dependent on the cell phones, the emails, the text messages. I believe you don't have one. <laughs> I'm not sure if you do exactly. or not. I kind of want to get into your world right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's probably a rather selfish decision on my part, but you're right that I am the rare journalist who has never used a cell phone and wouldn't know what to do with one if one came my way. And as you said in your introduction, I've been working, I've been a part of the staff of Time magazine for 32 years. I've been working for the New York Times and Vanity Fair and lots of the celebrated magazines and newspapers for more than 30 years now. And yet, I still live in this two-room apartment in the middle of nowhere in Japan. I have no bicycle there, no car, no TV I can understand, very limited internet, no cell phone. And all of that gives me what I most prize, which is stillness and the time and space in which to think. And so I think if some calamity were to happen this afternoon and I were asked by an editor to write about it, the way I would respond to it is not by instantly going online and getting all the conflicting details that are changing every microsecond, but it would be about stepping away from it and taking a walk around the block and trying to put it in a larger perspective. And I think, as you were saying, one of the challenges we have now is that so much is coming in on us every moment. We're almost like people standing about two inches away from a big, beautiful canvas. And it's a very crowded canvas and noisy and it's changing every second. And that canvas is our lives. And it's as in a museum, it's only by stepping back and stepping further back that you can begin to see what the canvas is conveying and begin to get literally the larger picture. And we're standing so close to our lives, we can't make sense of them, I think. So you're right, I've taken these measures, such as not having a cell phone, to just try to steady myself and make sure that I don't lose sight of something bigger than what happened a second ago. I think I read recently there's a new field uh, called interruption science. And scientists and researchers have found that it takes the average person 25 minutes to recover their attention after a telephone call. And yet the average person today gets a telephone call every 11 minutes, which means we're literally, we're never caught up. We're never in that moment of stillness that you and the sister Gita were describing. And so I thought, well, the only way to try and anchor myself is <laughs> not have the telephone there. Well, I love that. And it's funny because last night I actually had a dream about looking at the world a hundred years ago when there wasn't the computer or the smartphones. And I don't know, it was a dream, but I was also awake. And I was taking myself to where I would be inside. And I felt that I would be so calm and I would move slower and things would have more meaning. And it's interesting because I've continuously initiated projects and programs that would assist our culture or our world to integrate this sense of peace and love in what you do. Because we're moving so fast, that vibration of love and silence or stillness, which is really the sustaining factor for humanity, it is no longer in our narrative. 
And so the state that you were sharing about just stepping back from the canvas, I call it the state of the detached observer, where I'm allowing the love within the soul to emerge before I become engaged in this particular act. I don't do it 100%, but that's been my aim in participating in anything that I do with that sense of pure intention. Beautiful, yes. I think one of the things that made a big impression on me was that it's the people who are at the very forefront of technology who are wisest about the limits of technology and who recall to us that technology can do many, many things and make our lives brighter and longer and happier, but it can't teach us how to use technology. It can't give us wisdom. And so when I'm in California, I sometimes go up to Silicon Valley and I'll visit the campus of, of Google or other companies there. And what strikes me is, most of your listeners know, that those companies give all their workers 20% of their free of their paid time free so they can just take walk they have meditation rooms many many people in silicon valley observe an internet sabbath whereby they literally go completely offline from friday night to monday morning and i think so many people i know are feeling that they're ODing currently on information and data and one way or another trying to make sure that they have some balance even a lot of hotels now they get try to get guests by offering no wi-fi 10 years ago they were trying to attract guests by saying by offering wi-fi and so i think all of us are facing this in our own lives and trying to find ways of enjoying digital detox as people say nowadays and and as you said becoming the detached observer so that we're not we don't have the sensation of being in the thick of things turning in a thousand different directions all at once and being in the middle of a, a crowd on in Times Square on New Year's Eve and some of us feel that our minds are turning in that direction and we have to do something to make sure that as you said we are detached observers and not just dazed and crazed participants Mm, beautiful. So you journeyed from Easter Island to Ethiopia, Cuba to Kathmandu, and you authored a book entitled The Art of Stillness. Could you tell us a little bit about the book and what did you learn about writing that book? So the book is about everything that you and I have been talking about and just the fact that humans have always had a need for stillness and clarity inside our hearts, but now it's becoming a desperate and an urgent need. The World Health Organization has said that stress is going to be the great epidemic of the 21st century. I think a third of American companies now have stress reduction programs. One way or another, we've reached a crisis point and we have lots of diversion, stimulation, and information in our life. What we need is stillness, slowness, and space. And one thing that happened to me as soon after I, my house burnt down was I went and spent just three days on retreat in a Catholic hermitage. And I'm not a Catholic, and I'm not necessarily a hermit. But just three days of absolute silence so clarified to me what I care about, what I should be doing, and who I was beneath all set of distractions that it almost opened a door to me or it cleaned the window through which I look at the world. And it reminded me that that's what I should be doing a lot of the time, not necessarily going to that monastery, or, but just finding a way to be back in that space that I think you invoked in your opening meditation when you were saying, let go of your name, let go of your nationality, let go of your religion, let go of your words. That's the place we all need to get to. And so I wrote this book on the art of stillness about my fumbling ways to try to get to it. I am a journalist. I'm not a member of a formal religion. I've never officially meditated. But nonetheless, I feel that I need to listen to that voice and go back to that place that you were describing in your invocation. 
Thank you so much. I know that it's so important, and it, you're touching me in this conversation, I have to tell you. I'm coming up with a conversation in Los Angeles entitled Off the Grid, Into the Heart. And the reason why I brought that up was because we're so, again, entrenched in external forces that we've stopped listening to the internal force that's actually responsible for creating a sustainable and powerful society. And it's important to find time for stillness, and I think a lot of people consider it to be an absence of integrating oneself in life. Is there a definition of it where people don't necessarily have to step away to find stillness? Is there a way that you find stillness whilst you're engaged in writing a story or going from one room to another or about to get on a plane? Are there things that you do internally that take you home? to that still point whilst in action. Well, that's a beautiful way of putting it. I love your saying, take me home. And I love just that phrase, off the grid and into the heart. That's a perfect description of what I was trying to describe in my book. But I just do lots of small things. I was just on a plane two days ago, and I decided not to read a book, not to watch the movie, not to take out my laptop, just to close my eyes. Not necessarily to sleep, but to give my mind a chance to take a walk the way that my body takes a walk, walking along a beach and not doing anything. And it's not doing anything that allows us to do other things more purposefully. I notice in my home in Japan, I usually have to wait for about an hour every evening for my wife to come home, but I don't know if it'll be an hour or two hours. And I remember I used to scroll through emails or watch TV or look at a website or something. And then one day I thought, why don't I just turn off the lights and listen to music? It could be calm music, but it doesn't even have to be calm music. And I found just by doing that, every hour or hour and a half while I'm waiting for my wife, when she arrived, I was so much clearer. I was had fresher. I had much more to give to her. I slept better and I worked woke up much clearer the following day. I try to take a, go on retreat for maybe three days every season, every three months. And it's always difficult because I feel guilty about leaving my wife and my aging mother behind and I'm missing out a friend's birthday party perhaps. And my bosses are clamoring at me with reminders of deadlines. So it's difficult to take those three days off. But as soon as I arrive in a quiet place, I realize it's only by going there I'll have anything creative or fresh or joyful to share with my wife or my mother or my bosses. When I go to the health club nowadays and I'm walking the treadmill, I try not to turn on the TV. So small things. Every now and then I'll get in my when I'm driving around California. My temptation is often to listen to the radio and I love listening to the radio. But every now and then I'll say, let me not do that. And instantly, as if the whole world expands for me. And as a writer, I've learned slowly over my 32 years of being a writer that the best writing actually takes place when I'm taking a walk or not thinking about the writing or far from my desk. When I began, I thought, well, writing means sitting at your desk and organizing your information and making notes and looking at all the micro stuff. And it does involve that in part. But a more important part is taking a long walk, playing tennis, closing your eyes. And that's really where the larger truths come to you. And I think probably, as you put it so beautifully, the truths of, of home, that's where you're connected to something much deeper than yourself and much deeper than your thoughts and your agenda. And so one blessing I've had in my life is uh, I've been talking for 40 years to the Dalai Lama and I travel with him for a few days every year across Japan and I wrote a book on him. And when I'm traveling with the Dalai Lama, I'm next to him every day from 8.30 in the morning when he comes out of his hotel room to about 4.30 in the afternoon when he retires again. And so we go down in the elevator and he gets to a hotel lobby. And of course, 
60 people descend on him and one wants a photograph and one wants a blessing and one has a heartfelt question, a journalist with another question and then we get whisked off to a large arena where he has to give a talk and then there's a lunch where he has to talk to ambassadors and potentates and abbots and the like. And throughout every minute of his day, he never takes a break and he's absolutely alert and he's radiating this kindness towards everybody he meets as if they are the most important person in his life. And what I realized was the one way that the Dalai Lama, age 79, can put himself through such crowded and confusing and a noisy schedule every day is that he wakes up every morning at 3.30, he spends his first four hours meditating. And once he has that solid basis of absolute stillness and quiet and clarity from four hours of meditation, he is ready to take on the world and ready to bring the fullness of himself and his listening ear to everybody who comes his way. And so I've often thought that stillness is a wonderful thing in a monastery or on a mountaintop and all of us can find it. But the real challenge, just as you said, is to find stillness in the middle of our busy life when the boss is calling us up and the children are screaming and we have to go to uh, pay our taxes two hours from now or stillness in the middle of downtown New York City or Washington, D.C. How do you do that? And I watch somebody like the Dalai Lama and I think, well, that's probably the way you do it. You wake up and you devote a lot of time to being quiet and then you're ready to carry the stillness into a world great movement. I remember I heard about uh, Mahatma Gandhi that one day he woke up and he said to the people around him, today's a really, really busy day. I'm not going to be able to meditate for one hour. And they were very, very taken aback. And he said, yes, it's a really busy day, so I'm going to have to meditate for two hours instead. And to me, it's a lovely reminder of the fact that the busier you are, the more you need to step away from the busyness and to do some version of meditation or stillness. And sometimes, you know, the, th the funny thing I've noticed with myself is that a few years ago, I went to my annual checkup with my doctor and he looked at my figures and he said, well, you'll be healthy, but I would recommend that you go to the health club and do just 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise every day. And as soon as he said that, I started going and I religiously do that every day ever since. But if somebody says to me, well, just for your sanity, you ought to spend 30 minutes every day sitting quietly meditating. I'll say, oh, no way, I don't have the time. I've got to go to the office. I've got to think about my family. And it's a very, very short-sighted because taking care of our body is, of course, important, but probably even more essential to our sanity is taking care of our mind. And we so readily neglect it or assume that we don't have time. But we can always make the time for watching the NFL on TV or having a drink with our friends or going to the health club. So let's take that time to do something that's going to help everybody by meditating or going back home, as you put it, going to that place of stillness and letting go of distractions. That's lovely. I think I might have a new story for you. There's been a group of individuals, about a million in 120 countries, and the movement has been called Amritology, A-M-R-I-T-O-L-O-G-Y. And it's individuals that are waking up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and sitting for an hour, confirming their relationship with the divine and confirming a relationship with themselves silently. And I'm, def I'm in it because I'm a part of the organization. But I can understand, and it's one of my most precious times, is to be able to spend time in my own company and with the divine, knowing that if I'm not able to take care or serve myself, I can't take care of anyone else. And imagine creating a culture of individuals who are invested in trusting that that silent time in the morning is what seals you to be a better you. 
that needs to get out there, Pico. I think there's a story there because a lot of folks aren't even aware that King and Gandhi, they got their strength from their early morning rise and meditation. Exactly. Beautiful. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm thrilled. I didn't know about that movement, but I'm thrilled to hear about it. And exactly right. Do that an hour every day. Commune with the divine. Commune with yourself. And then you're ready for everything else. It puts everything else into perspective, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sometimes what we lose if, as often, we wake up and then we hurriedly have breakfast and clean our teeth and race off to the office. Then we're totally caught up in the in the chaos and the bombardment, and we have no way of making sense of it. And I think, as you say, just that one hour, and it's exactly so. I try. I wake up as soon as the light comes up every day. But those hours, I would think, at three and four in the morning, and the most beautiful and the most pure. And you, it's a way of uh, attending to the universe too, and seeing the light shift. Actually, I had a small experience of this. I was um, te- I was visiting a university two years ago, and I was not having a very good time. My host wasn't really taking care of me, and the students were difficult to talk to. And then <laughs> one day, uh, I, I met an old friend of mine from high school, and he pointed out there was an installation in one of the courtyards where you just went and you sat on a a bench and an artist had made a rectangle in the sky so you just looked at the sky and nothing else went on and and the next morning I woke up before dawn and I got a cup of tea and I got a little scone and I went to that bench and I just watched the light come up for about 45 minutes I was absolutely alone not exactly doing what you do but something similar and as soon as I did that the rest of the day was transformed. My whole stay at the university was transformed. And just that 45 minutes of sanity and stillness and attending to the sky and the beauty around you and a wonder that we often forget, that made everything else so much easier and, in fact, made it beautiful And before it had been painful. Pico, I love you. I think you're amazing. I have appreciated your openness and clarity of expressing stillness in a way that I think individuals who run away from it would actually start to now run to it because it is the place inside of you. It is your home. Regardless if you've got a house, car, money, prestige, no prestige, how do you sit inside of your internal temple and your internal world? Thank you so much for joining us on the air today. And before I let you go, is there a favorite life quote that you're living by and information where our listeners can find more about Pico Iyer? I do have a website, picoiyerjourneys.com, and one quote that instantly comes to mind is from the great American psychologist William James a hundred years ago, and he said, the best answer to stress is choosing one thought over another. In other words, at every moment, every one of us has the possibility to get over stress but just by changing our mind or changing the direction of our attention. It's not something that's far away. It's something any of us can do all the time. Even if we're poor, even if we're sick, even if we're in a depressed country, we can do that. We have more power than we know. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Pico. All the very best, and enjoy Japan. It's actually one of my favorite countries. (laughs) Thank you. Good luck to you. It's been a privilege to talk to you, and I'm very excited to hear about mythology. Thank you. Definitely. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So what's it like to be a journalist and still not own a smartphone or, you know, running after the next story or trying to finish your deadline? I think it's a journalist with a heart and an individual who understands that if you come from a place of something so intuitively true and more universal, your service is more far-reaching than trying to get a million likes on a Facebook. Folks, I want you to 
perhaps play this interview over and over again. It's one that I will be listening to over and over again. There was something about what Pika was sharing. It is a place that you go within. I might have mentioned the practice of the detached observer, and Pico had mentioned it's where he just steps back and he looks at this canvas of life, basically. It's got a whole bunch of stuff on it. But look at your life more as an observer and see what are your priorities, what is really important to you. And for me, at the end of the game, it's relationships the one that I'm having with myself and the one that I have with others and the one with the divine. Pico shared a lot about how the Dalai Lama spends four hours in the morning just to set his tone for the day. I'm not saying that everyone can do that, but the fact that we can actually dedicate at least an hour, as I had mentioned to Pico, the amritology that is being offered by the Brahma Kumaris, it's got a million people waking up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning wherever they are in their country, and they're allowing themselves to seep in that divinity and that power so they can be of better service to humanity, whether it's in your marriage, at work, with your children, or just in a society. If you are more comfortable with the home that is within your consciousness, you will be more comfortable with whatever the outside forces are going to bring to you. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation. I know that I have, and I'm wishing you to download the Pause for Peace app so you can hear this on demand as often as you'd like, or go to TuneIn, Stitcher, or iTunes, and also download the podcast, or just go to Blog Talk Radio or the meditationmuseum.org website. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we are here to love each other the same, so let's do Take care, everyone, and wishing you all the very best and to keep your awareness and your inner being in the world of light and goodness and peace. Take care, everyone.